Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Let's get into week three of First Things First. Week three of First Things First. The first week of this series, we laid the foundation by focusing on the words of Christ in, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, where Jesus said, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness is about priority. And, and I'm declaring over this church, 2019 could be a different year if we prioritize and seek the kingdom of God first. The second week was about the things in life that we elevate to the throne of our lives. We don't necessarily mean to, but yet they do become a priority. And in Exodus 20, God commands us not to have any other gods before him. And if we're not careful, we will have hand-carved idols made by our own doing that control the kingdoms of our hearts. And our Heavenly Father commanded us not to let these gods come before Him. God desires to be first in your life. And that's what this series is about. It's about putting God first. And today I want to speak to you about something that has the potential to change your life. And it's called the principle of first. The principle of first. And if you can get this today, if you can get this into your spirit, um, then, then it is absolutely going to change the rest of your life. Uh, I, I know plenty of testimonies throughout this room that once they caught hold of the principle of first, it became life-changing for them. And I, I need to give a disclaimer. This is not an apology. And so listen close to me. Some of you, I think you feel sorry for me sometimes when I have to preach on this subject. And, um, and it's not one of my favorite subjects to preach on uh, simply because of, of the stigma that comes with it. This is not an apology. And so don't walk by me after service and say, pastor, you don't have to apologize for preaching about giving. Um, no, I'm not apologizing, but I, I do recognize that there is a stigma with this subject. I recognize that, that there are, are people who think that pastors just want their money or that, that churches are, are money hungry. And, and it's sad to say that there are some instances where it is like that, where it is abused. And, and if you know anything about our church, you know that we've got the right checks and balances in place that, that it cannot be abused around here. Our administrative council, every month they go over our income and expenditures. Um, I am accountable to them. Our staff is accountable to them. Um, I don't even control my own salary from this church. That is set by our administrative council as well as all of our staff. It is set by our council. And I, I understand that there are some reservations at times. And, and this has caused many pastors to quit preaching what I'm going to preach to you today. And I need you to understand that, that I am a blessed man. And throughout my, my 20, oh, going on 22 years of ministry, I, I have always been taken care of. Um, God has always blessed me. And I need you to understand that my salary is not based on how much you give in the offering every week. Um, if someone was to put a million dollars in the offering today, praise God, let that happen. We're going to go towards debt, right? We're going we're gonna, to we're go towards that, the debt reduction of building that building. But if someone was to put a million dollars in the offering today, 
I would not receive one penny more in next week's paycheck than I would in this week's paycheck, okay? I need you to understand that. And, and I know that I stand before you today with a pure heart. I know my intentions, and my intentions are not to pad the pockets of this church. If that was the case, I would have waited, and we would have received the offering after I preached this because I know that there's some of you that you're going to get this. You're going to understand what I am preaching to you and what the Word of God is saying to you, and you're not going to be able to wait. You're going to want to to give because of, of the way God moves on your heart. At DCC, we average on, on, a, on a regular Sunday morning between 550 and 600 people. That is counting children and, and everybody. Nursery, it's, that's everybody. 550 to 600 people on an average week. I believe that there's probably around 700 to 750 people that call DCC their home church. I want to share with you some numbers that I looked at this week. And, and I also want you to understand that, that I don't go each week and look at who's giving and, and who's giving what. And, and it's intentional with me because I don't want to treat a person that, that gives $1 in the offering any different than I treat someone that gives $10,000 in the offering. And I, I believe I could keep my heart pure there, but, but why even let that temptation enter in? And so uh, b besides our staff and our council and the musicians on stage and anyone that, that you know, teaches from this podium, I, I don't really check those kinds of things. But at DCC, of all the people that give, now we've got many people that give of those 700 to 750 that call this church home. But out of all of those people that give, to the best of our ability, and I believe we have been generous with this a little bit. I do. I think, I think we've stretched it a little bit to try and include some that, that may, might be on the fringe on, on whether or not um, they are a true tither. And what I mean by tithing is 10% of their income. From the best that, that I can figure, we have about 115 giving units in this church. 115 giving units. What that means is that there are probably somewhere uh, in that there's, there's some married couples, and we count that as one giving unit. In there, there's some singles. That's a giving unit. Sometimes we have uh, teenagers that they, they are, are getting their first jobs. And, and I'm, I'm happy to tell you that we've had teenagers for years in this church that they believe in sowing and giving to the ministry of God. And so we have teenagers that they, they start working and they start, they start tithing and we count that as a giving unit. And so that's about 115 households or giving units that honor God with their first fruits. And because of that, I can stand before you today and tell you that, that our needs are met here at this church. We are. We are blessed here at this church. I've never had to stand before you and say, I don't know how we're going to pay the bills this week. I need you to give extra. I've never had to do that, praise God. And I believe that a big part of that is, is good stewardship on our leadership's part, which includes myself and our administrative council and our staff. And so I, I believe in good stewardship. I believe that we've got to do that the right way. And so... There are people here in this congregation that they get it. They understand how God blesses a person's life financially. They get it. And because of that, they are blessed. And my intentions today are to help you live in the blessings of God. I really wish that there was a way that I could do this and I could tell you, hey, I want you to give your money here where, where this church doesn't benefit from it at all so that, so that I honestly could, could stand here and say that, that we're not going to benefit from this at all. 
But it's not the way that it works because God said to bring the whole tithe into this, his storehouse, that there may be food in my house. That's what he says. And so I, I know that the proper way of, of tithing is giving 10% of, of your, your income to the church and, and to the local church body. I understand that. Here's what I want you to get, okay? This is a tough subject. Pray for your pastor right now. This is not prosperity preaching. It's not. I cannot make you rich. I don't even know if God's intentions are for you to be rich. I can help you to learn to trust your provider, though. And trusting your provider, your needs are going to be met. And if you are skeptical today, please don't leave. Ask God to open your heart. Ask God to open your mind and just see if he speaks to you. And I promise you this, I will back everything up with Scripture. Everything that I'm about to say, I will have Scripture to back it up. And if you're not convinced by the end of this sermon, then just keep doing whatever you're doing, okay? And, and the results of what you're doing, they're guaranteed. However life is right now, in that moment, the results are guaranteed. Of course, we all know the definition of insanity, right? Okay, if keep doing what you're doing, expecting to get different results. Now, if you want to walk in the blessings of God and you want God's supernatural hand of provision upon your life and you're not tithing, then you need to listen close. You need to take notes. You probably need to listen to this podcast three or four more times because what I'm about to tell you is life-changing. Amen? Amen? Amen. There was this little boy that he wanted to help himself when the communion grape juice and the wafers were passed by and and as he was reaching in to grab the wafer and the, and the grape juice, his, his mom leaned over and she says, I'm, I'm sorry, you're, you're too young to partake in communion. The little boy was disappointed, but he put his hands by his side. And later the offering plate was coming by. And before church, his mom had given him a quarter. And she had the intentions of him giving that in the offering. She said, here's a quarter. I want you to give it in the offering. So the offering plate is coming by and the little boy reaches in his pocket. He grabs his quarter, and, and as the tray is coming by, or the plate's coming by, he, he does not give it. He holds it tight. And his mom leans over once again and trying to convince him to give the money that she gave him into the offering. She says, you, you need to put that in. And the little boy looked at her, and holding his money tightly, he shouted at the top of his lungs in church. He says, if I can't eat, I won't pay. Church, if you want to see what a person values, look at what they invest in. If you want to see what matters in their life, what is priority, look what they invest in. Don't forget, I've already shared this with you, Matthew 6 and 21. For where your treasure is, these are the words of Jesus, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus was telling us that your heart follows your treasure, that whatever you invest in, you fall in love with. And if you really love the kingdom of God, then you will invest into it. I like movies. Mandy and I, we both, we, we, we love a good movie. And we've watched some good movies in our lifetime. We've watched some bad movies in our lifetime. But we love a good movie. And, and last night we went to the movie theater. Um, and, uh, you know, even though uh, it, it feels like it's a small fortune when you go to the movie theater, if Regal Cinemas had to survive, if, if their business plan, if their model was relying upon the, how much Rocky and Mandy McKinley invested into them, they would go under. Because I promise you, we don't go to the movies enough to support, especially that big new theater over there in Celebration Point. Now, you must ask yourself, would my church survive if everyone gave what I gave? 
That is a tough and convicting question, isn't it? Would my church survive if everyone gave what I gave? And, and the truth is, for some of you that get this and you understand it, if everyone gave what you gave, ministry and the, the, the possibilities of ministry would be endless. But yet, there are others that if everyone gave what you gave, we would struggle to keep the doors open. Did you know that there are more than 500 verses in the Bible concerning prayer? How many of you would agree by a show of hands that prayer is important in the kingdom of God? Amen? Over 500 verses concerning prayer. There are nearly 500 verses concerning faith. How many of you by a show of hands would say faith is important in the kingdom of God? Without faith, it's what? Impossible to please God. So it has to be important, right? So, you know, nearly 500 verses concerning faith. But there are more than 2,000 verses on the subject of money and possessions. Of the 38 parables that Jesus taught, 16 of them dealt with, with money. 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus taught talked about money. And if Jesus taught about money and possessions, then so should I. And don't worry, this isn't going to be a weekly thing. As a matter of fact, those of you that know me, you know that about once a year this, this subject will come around. But today, I want you to walk into 2019 blessed. And the best way to do that is to trust God with your finances. Whether we like it or not, money is a concern to God. And, and it's not that God is worried about how he is going to pay his mortgage or, or how he is going to, to pay the utility bill. That's not what God is concerned about. His concern is on whether or not you learn to trust him with your finances. And every day, our lives are affected by money or a lack thereof. There's not one person in this room that every day of your life, money is not an issue. It, it is. It, we, our, our lives revolve around money or the lack of money. And, and money is a powerful influence over our lives. So why wouldn't the Lord of our life want to be first over the money of our life? And if you want to know what you prioritize first in your life, look at where you spend your money. So, Pastor, you mentioned this, uh, this principle of first. What is that? What is the principle of first? Numerous times throughout God's Word, God Himself has laid claim to the first 10% of a person's income. This is what we call a tithe or a tenth, okay? In biblical times, it was actually the first 10% of their crops or the firstborn of their livestock. And the promise is that God will bless the remaining 90% if you honor him with what he has already laid claim to, God says that 10% belongs to me. In Romans 11 and 16, which is uh, the new covenant, if, if, if you're one of those people that says, oh, that's, that's, that's old covenant, that's Old Testament, that's the law. No, Romans 11 and 16 is in the new covenant. It's in the New Testament of our Bibles. And it says, now, if the first fruits are holy, so is the whole batch. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. In other words, if you honor God with your first fruits, then the remaining funds are holy. I don't know about you, but I need my remaining funds to be holy and blessed by God. Amen? Oh, you're quiet with me today. I said, I need my remaining funds. I need that to be holy and blessed by God. Amen? Amen. One of the major concerns for most people about tithing is, is, are, are these words right here. I can't afford to. 
I can't afford to. And many people, they want to. They want to give to God, but with all the bills that they have, there is no way that they can afford to. It doesn't make sense on paper for them to do that. But understand this, and I've been preaching this a lot lately, but I want you to get this, because if you get this now, in January, you're going to live a blessed life in 2019. Listen to me. The supernatural never makes sense. If you try and make sense of the things of God, you, you are going to warp your mind trying to figure it out. His ways are higher than our ways. We will never figure out the principles of God. Think about the virgin birth. It's supernatural. It doesn't make sense. We base our faith on that, right? The, 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 the water, when God changed the molecular makeup of H2O and changed it to wine, that doesn't make sense. It's supernatural. Blinded eyes being opened, the lame walking, the dead raised, a resurrected Savior, the basis of our faith, right? That does not make sense. None of that makes sense, but it's true. And the principle of first is also one of those things that it will never make sense in our finite minds because we just can't explain it. We can't put words to it, but that does not make it any less true. And from Genesis to Revelation in your Bibles, throughout the whole word of God, the principle of first is set in stone as one of the ways that God's people respond to a loving father. We say through our giving, God, I trust you. And you either trust God with this or you don't. We have no problem trusting God with our souls. We give our souls to him. We find forgiveness through that. But so many people, they want to hold tight and they don't want to trust God with those finances. And the principle of first teaches us that God lays claim to the first of our income. Let me just throw some verses at you really quick. Exodus 23 and 19 he says, as you harvest your crops, bring the very best of your first harvest to the house of the Lord, your God. Exodus 34 and 26, the best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord, your God. Leviticus 23 verses 9 and 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you enter the land, I am giving you and you harvest its first crops. Bring the priests a bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grain harvest. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns, listen to the promise, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Church, God's word tells us time and time again that God requires the first, not the last, not what's left over. God blesses when you honor him with the first. And so today I want to turn to Genesis chapter 4 and I want to look at the first family, Adam and Eve, not Donald and Melania. I specifically want to look at their first two sons, Cain and Abel. And I want to read the first seven verses. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. It says, now Adam knew his wife. Now, just for some of you in the room, um, this understand that when it says Adam knew his wife, he didn't just meet her for the first time, okay? There's a meaning there, and we find out what that means when it says, and she conceived and bore Cain, okay? So Adam knew his wife, and, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. 
In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. I want you to say those words. Say, you must rule over it. Would you say it? Look at the person next to you and tell them, say, you must rule over it. Would you tell them? You must rule over it. Many of us know the story of Cain and Abel. If you know this story, you'll know that eventually jealousy takes over the heart of Cain. And we witness another first in the Bible, which is murder. We witness the first murder because of the jealousy that he has in his heart. Cain loses his mind. And he kills his brother Abel. Church, a life that refuses to trust God will lead to a life that trusts its own greed. We must be careful because greed is one of the things. Remember, it's, it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Not money. It's the love of money. It's the greed that causes us to sin. Cain worked the ground. Cain was a harvester. Abel was a shepherd. He tended to the sheep. And both Cain and Abel, the Bible tells us in our text, it says that that they both brought their offerings to the Lord. But for some reason, God accepted Abel's offering, but he refused Cain's offering. Is is it that God is a a carnivore? That God doesn't eat vegetables? Is that what it is? I don't think so. I don't think that's what this is at all. No. As a matter of fact, you can find the answers for this in both verses 3 and 4. So I want you to look at verse 3. It says, in the course of time, those are the important words right there. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. In other words, when Cain got around to it, when it fit into Cain's budget, when Cain finally showed up to church to worship God. In the course of time, it wasn't immediately, it wasn't the first fruit. There was some time involved there. And when he finally got around to it, Cain brought his offering to the Lord. Now read verse 4. It says, And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Abel brought to God the firstborn of his flock in the first book of the Bible before the law of Moses. So we've already seen it in the New Testament. And now before the law, we, we see that that what it looks like for someone to offer God first, which is all that God wants. He just wants to be first. God is not interested in your leftovers. God wants your first. I don't want to embarrass anybody in the room, but my neighbor, Jen McElroy, she makes this homemade bread that is so amazing. I mentioned this on a Wednesday night one time, and, and she makes this homemade bread that is just amazing. And, and last Sunday, on the seventh day of our fast, her husband, Steve, sends me a text. They live just two doors down, and he sends me a text, and he said, hey, will your fast allow you to eat this, this bread? To which I responded through text, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> and so he then, he then sends me 
this picture. Look at this picture. And he says, the big one was yours. He's a jerk. <laughs> now, the truth is this. Everybody needs a neighbor like Jen. Uh, everybody does because every once in a while they'll show up and many times they'll send it over with their daughters and their daughters will come knock on our door and they'll show up with this homemade bread. And, and I'm not complaining about that at all. Many times it's hot and fresh out of the oven and man, it is just good. Now, <laughs> yeah. For some reason, while we're on a fast, I always talk about food. I don't know. I don't know why. Now, imagine with me if those girls showed up at my door and they, I opened the door and they, they had a, a basket there and they presented me with a basket and said, Mom made some bread. And I, I, I pull the towel back and I look underneath and, and all I see is like a half a slice and some crumbs. That's all that's there. It's their leftovers. Do you know how that would make me feel as a neighbor, as a friend, as their pastor? I like pray curses on them if that happens, right? Would, it, I would not feel appreciated. I would not feel loved at all if I was receiving their leftovers. Church, God doesn't deserve our leftovers. Well, this is convicting, isn't it? God doesn't deserve our leftovers. He deserves our first and understand this, God is not interested in your money. Again, God is interested in your trust. Do you trust me with your finances? Do you give back to God a true tithe of what he has blessed you with because he has already laid claim on that? He says, that is mine. It belongs to me. And God did not put this principle of first in place because God is greedy. No, he put this principle in place because God is generous. He is a giver and he doesn't want your first fruits because he wants to punish you. He wants your first fruits because he wants to prosper you. But looking at this in the natural, we never understand this. But, but, but there's this verse that messes with me. I don't want you to miss this. It's Exodus 13 and 13, and, and, and this, is, this is such a great verse. It says, every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Woo! It just got real in here, didn't it? I mean, God's talking about taking, taking a donkey and breaking its neck. I've had some hard-headed donkeys in my life. I wanted to break their neck, but no. God is literally talking about an animal here that if you don't redeem it, then you have to break its neck. Your paycheck, your source of income, it must be redeemed. If not, it is not blessed by God. I want you to look at somebody. Really say this to them. Say, don't break the neck of your paycheck. Don't break the neck of your paycheck. I see way too many believers. Now listen to me. I'm not telling you that you are not a Christian if you don't pay your tithe. That's not what I'm saying. This has nothing to do with your salvation. I'll get to that in a moment. But this has everything to do with, with stretching and God multiplying what he has given you. If you don't believe that God can multiply the funds in your bank account, if you don't believe that he can multiply the, 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 the amount of money that you have in your wallet, if you don't believe that God can take that and stretch it and multiply it beyond anything that you can imagine, then, then go to the stories of, of, of uh, throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels of God multiplying the fish, multiplying the bread, and just rip those right out of your Bible if you don't believe it because we either get this or we don't we either believe it or we don't 
And some people are breaking the neck of their paycheck before it ever has a chance to bless them. I like the way that Dr. Tony Evans said it. He said, God responds when you walk by faith, not when you wish by faith. God responds when you walk by faith. That's doing what his word says to do, not when you wish by faith. Don't claim that God is first in your life and not trust him with your finances. This is going to be liberating for some of you. You're going to be set free today, I promise you. God gives us such a great foreshadow of our salvation in this verse. And what I'm about to show you right now will prove to you that our salvation depends on the principle of first. Now, now that I've got your attention, everybody's looking up right now. Your salvation depends on the principle of first. I'm going to prove it to you right now. According to the law of Moses, a donkey was an unclean animal. You would not eat a donkey. It's unclean. A lamb was considered a clean animal. And so the first lamb that would open the womb of that sheep God laid claim to the firstborn. He says, that must be sacrificed to me. But if you had an unclean animal, such as a donkey, you could not sacrifice that to a holy God because it was considered unclean. Therefore, it would have to be redeemed by a clean animal. The firstborn of all clean animals was to be sacrificed. The firstborn of all unclean animals was to be redeemed by a sacrifice of a clean animal. Now, now, get this. God is not asking you to do something that he hasn't already done. You must understand the principle of first and how this applies to your salvation. We, everybody in this room, humanity, we are unclean. Born into sin, we are unclean in the eyes of God. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Therefore, we must be redeemed by something that is clean. We need a lamb. And God, the ultimate giver, sent his son to this earth to die for our sins. He was the spotless lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Listen to what John the Baptist said in John 1 and 29. He says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ was our redeeming lamb for people who were unclean. Do you see how your salvation depends upon the principle of first? Not on whether or not you've given the offering, whether or not God was willing to give to us whether or not God was willing to send his son. Jesus was God's firstborn. He was God's first fruits offering for us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Your salvation is dependent upon the principle of first and I'm so grateful that when God spoke that principle into existence that even he himself is bound by that. When God speaks a principle, everything under creation has to fall under that. And not only did God give his firstborn, he gave him in faith before we ever believed. Romans 5 and 8, by, but, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait until we accepted Christ and accepted his forgiveness. No, even when we were sinners, he went ahead and paid it forward for us. 
We have to give our first fruits offering, our tithe, in the same way that, that before we even see the blessings of God, we must give that in faith. And don't forget, don't forget these three principles right here. You will reap what you sow. You may be the best volunteer around this church. You know what? That redeems your time, okay? Everything that is sown, it, it, you, there's a reaping process, okay? And so you reap what you sow. So if you want to reap the benefits of God's blessings on your finances, then you must sow your finances. You will always reap more than you sow. One little seed brings forth a mighty harvest. You reap what you sow more than you sow and understand you reap later than you sow. There's a season for planting. There's a season for gathering. And the time is coming. Oh, I've laid the challenges out there before. I'm not going to bore you with the stories if I have in years past. But I've challenged people in the past, and they've never gone back to not tithing. Because once they start, God is always faithful. It's the only place in the Bible where he says, test me in this. He says, test me in this and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven. The only place God allows you to test him is with your finances. That's it. Now, now here's the part. Here's the part. They're going to come up and they're going to start playing softly behind me. They're going to set the mood. And, and here's the part where I get to tell you that sentimental story that pulls on your heartstrings, right? You, you know how sermons work. You've been around me enough. You know how I, how I construct a sermon. This is that part. It'd be great if I had that rags to riches story to tell you. It'd be great if I was able to stand here today and I was able to tell you that before I tithed, my life was in shambles. My, my finances were falling apart. I was broke. And then I started tithing, and now I'm, I'm wealthy, and I drive a brand-new Jeep and all that. No, my Jeep's a 2007. It has almost 200,000 miles on it, okay? There are testimonies all over this room, and if I had their permission, I would share them, of people who in years past heard a teaching like this, and they started honoring God with their first fruits. They started tithing. And God supernaturally began blessing them and they've never gone back. They've never changed. There's people that learn to trust God with their finances. And God could trust them with the blessing. But my story is not like that. I can't make it up. I can't lie to you about it. I landed my first job when I was 14 years old. I'd had some odd men type jobs where I was paid under the table, but my first like real paycheck job was 14 years old. They opened up a Bressler's ice cream and yogurt in Perry, Florida. Needless to say, it didn't last long, but um, that was my first job. I was raised in a home that my parents tithe. And my father made sure that he taught me the, the principle of first. He taught me to tithe. And so at 14 years old, when I got my first paycheck, I couldn't wait to get to church to pay my first tithe. I didn't have a checking account at the time, so I just cashed the check and I, I took $5. It was 10% of what I made. I took $5 and I put it in an offering envelope, marked it tithe. And from that day on, since I was 14 years old, I've been convinced of this principle of first. I've never looked back. I've never questioned it. There's never been a day where I thought, man, 
I can't afford to do this. No. On the other end, I, I can tell you, I can't afford not to do this. God has been faithful time and time and time again. He has, he has proven himself faithful in my finances, in our finances. I was raised in a home that the parents tithed. I've been tithing since I was 14. When I met Mandy, she was a tither. It never became an issue in our home. I made sure that I'm, I'm married where I was equally yoked and not unequally yoked. And, and finances is the number one cause of divorce. And I made sure that we were on the same page before we ever got married. So we went into our marriage tithing 10% of our income. I can tell you through the years, God has challenged me and grown me in that. There was a time when I was only tithing off what we brought home. God convicted my heart and said, well, why would you pay Uncle Sam before you would pay me? And that's when we started tithing off our gross. There were times when I thought, well, I can designate the funds. I'll give it to the church, but I'll designate it. And God said, no, that's an offering. You can designate where you want to put your offering, but the tithe is mine. I'm telling you, he convicted me that strong. He said, the tithe is mine. You put it in tithe, and, that, and that's where it goes. And, and then if you want to give above and beyond that, that's on you. I'm just telling you, I've grown through the years and how we tithe, but, but we have always been tithers. And here's what I can tell you about, about our marriage. One, we've never argued about finances. <laughs> Some of you, you need to start tithing simply because of that. We don't argue because of finances. We have built or bought four different homes in our 23 years together, rented many homes. We've never not had transportation. We've always had transportation. We've raised two kids. They're in college and we've given them a great life. And on the day those twins turned 16, we didn't give them new cars. But because of God's faithfulness in our lives, we were able to bless them with two used cars. We've always had money for groceries. We've always had money for utilities. We've even had some extras along the way where God has just allowed us to have some of our wants besides just our needs. God has always provided for this little 14-year-old that learned to trust God with his finances. The story of my life is God's faithfulness. And so all I can tell you, church, is that I'm either highly delusional and my life is one big coincidence, or you have to agree with me <clears throat> that I understand the promises of God and that you could learn a lot from a dummy. I don't know a lot, but I do know that I trust God with my finances and he has never once let me down. Even when the attacks came and I thought, God, where are you in this financial despair? He has always come through on the end and said, I've got you, just trust me, I've got you, I'll fix this. And he always has. This is a hard sermon to close. You know, I could, I could have those of you that aren't tithers to stand up right now and really embarrass you. I could pray something like God strike them dead if they don't give right now and you would unload your wallets up here around the front, but that's not the way God operates. 
How many of you are thankful for the grace of God that when we don't get it right, grace covers it? Amen? Amen. Understand, I'm not telling you that your salvation depends on, on your first fruits. Your salvation depends on his first fruits. But I do know that the principle of first is a divine principle that God gave humanity and he still honors it to this day. Why would you not want to take advantage of that? Why would you not want your finances blessed if, if the first fruit, if the tithe is holy, then the lump sum is holy. That's what his word said. If this is holy, then this is blessed. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.